Hello, and welcome to the Solutions Podcast. Each episode, we take a tough problem and talk to experts who are solving that problem. I'm your host this week, Noel Harper. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we will be discussing a Canadian healthcare issue that has been talked about and debated for decades, finding its way into countless election campaigns along the way. I am talking, of course, about Pharmacare. However, this year feels like a turning point on the issue. Several major federal parties have made the cost of prescription drugs a central point of their platforms, promising billions of dollars to solve the Pharmacare issue, with a lack of specifics. Canada's healthcare system covers hospital visits and other necessary care through public insurance, but does not cover prescription medications in the same universal way. To help fix this, the Canadian government commissioned a report looking into the implementation of National Pharmacare, which was published in June of this year, and focused on who National Pharmacare will cover, what drugs it will pay for, and who should pay the cost. In response to the government report, the Canadian Federation of Medical Students and their Pharmacare Task Force penned a position paper titled Pan-Canadian Medical Student Perspectives on Pharmacare in Canada, Co-leads on the task force, Bartosz Orzel from Dalhousie University and Hilary Pang from the University of Toronto, joined me to discuss their paper, the perspectives of medical students on pharmacare, and what they are doing to help find a solution. I suppose I'd like to start by asking, what was the basis of writing this position paper? Why did you decide to respond to the government report by Dr. Eric Hoskins in this way? We realize that as future physicians, we have a critical role um, to play uh, as advocates for our future patients, for the health of and our health of our family members. Um, And we realize that pharmacare is the one thing missing from what Canada kind of purports to be as universal health care. It's the missing piece um, that has not yet been realized. The impetus behind this position paper was to gather the perspectives um, of medical students from across the country, from coast to coast, from every medical school, um, and to gather their perspectives on what they think of pharmacare, how pharmacare should be designed, and how pharmacare can be sustainable um, into the future. Now, the first of the concerns that you list is that, quote, the current state of prescription drug coverage is inequitable across various socio-demographic groups and does not serve every Canadian. So which of these groups, if any, do you feel are the most at risk? A advisory council was created by the federal government and we uh, designed our position paper to directly address some of the questions posed in their um, earlier work. And they found that Their affordability challenges are higher for women, Indigenous people, low-income individuals, and young adults between the ages of 19 and 34, and those without any drug coverage. Another concern is that um, current drug costs are increasingly unaffordable. So really, drug spending was estimated to account for about $2.6 billion in 1985 increased to about $34 billion in 2018. So quite a significant rise. I think it's one of the highest um, rising costs in all of healthcare and really all of uh, the proportion of Canada's GDP. You know, to be honest, um, when uh, Medicare was instituted and kind of enshrined in the Canada Health Act, prescription drugs were omitted from that act. And um, I guess at the time, Prescription drugs didn't account for 
healthcare as much as they do currently. So I think over time, because of the lack of, um, you know, this National Standard Act that could kind of rein in prescription drugs, pharmaceutical companies have had a bit of um, a kind of a freeway to sort of determine their own drug prices and sort of game the market to, you know, increase costs to these kind of current unaffordable levels. And I think it's the way how um, pharmaceutical drug prices are currently negotiated. Um, so the way that drug prices are negotiated currently is is through the provinces. And the negotiations are confidential um, between these bodies. Um, and this results in a lack of crosstalk and a lack of lack of the ability to bulk purchase medications. So for example, if Ontario negotiates with a pharmaceutical company for $1 for a diabetes medication, um, and PI with a much smaller population base, they are less able to negotiate um, a better price because of the smaller population that PEI has. And so as a result, the pharmaceutical company can result in negotiation of a higher drug price because of the lack of crosstalk, because of the lack or the differences in population size. Um, this can lead to discrepancies and also increasing an unnecessary drug costs um, that are fueled by the pharmaceutical industry. And this is one thing that Pharmacare aims to ameliorate. Um, it's the ability for the federal government to negotiate on part of the entire Canadian population um, to negotiate lower drug prices that are more equitable um, and more affordable and more sustainable um, for the country's population. In the end, you recommend that Canada instate a national and evidence-based prescription drug program across the country. Um, so we have been looking into jurisdictions that have achieved such a model, in particular the UK, uh, where citizens pay a flat co-payment per prescription with exceptions for many vulnerable groups and they offer certificates to reduce costs over multiple prescriptions um, as well as subsidy programs in places like Australia and New Zealand. So where would there be a shining example of a pharmacare system that works? Um, where can Canada look to as a model? The prescription drug models um, that you have already researched are excellent. Um, so Australia and New Zealand, um, they have uh, one of the higher quality um, universal pharmacare programs. And that is demonstrated by the economic um, results from these programs. So for example, um, as you mentioned in our position paper, um, Canada spent around $770 on drugs per capita. Um, whereas Australia was able to spend almost $200 less at around $580. New Zealand spends an average of 0 to $5 in their co-payments. And it's the ability for these countries to, as I mentioned earlier, um, able to bulk purchase on behalf of the entire population and able to bring down prices on each individual drug and then infer or... Um, transfer less costs to the consumer or the entire Canadian population. Canada currently, in negotiating drug prices, they kind of look at comparing themselves to four other countries, um, including both Switzerland and the U.S. These are the top two sp spending countries um, in the world when negotiating drug prices. Um, so really, one of the 
I guess, one of the models not to look at and has been argued by some of the federal political parties, such as the Bloc Québécois, is to actually reduce, like, uh, eliminate our comparison to countries such as the U.S. when negotiating drug prices um, as this kind of, you know, underestimates how poorly our system is doing when you compare yourself to a country such as the U.S. where things are even worse. One definition of, um, of universal coverage that in particular stood out to me, um, the income-tested coverage where only those with drug expenses that exceed a certain percentage of their income would be covered. If the values of Medicare is to provide equity um, for all Canadians, um, no matter their income, race, gender, disease type, then Pharmacare should likely follow suit um, and provide coverage for all Canadians, um, no matter their their inherent characteristics. And on the logistical side of things, there has to be another body that identifies these people um, that do not necessarily have the means to afford medications. And this proposes another economic challenge and economic obstacle that the uh, government must also deal with. And it also doesn't really address um, the benefits of pharmacare in that the government isn't able to negotiate on behalf of an extremely large population. And this doesn't necessarily address the rising pharmaceutical costs either. And then there is another definition of coverage that you uh, mentioned after that, which is called second-payer coverage, wherein all Canadians would be covered under either private or public coverage. Um, what are your feelings on this approach? Do people who can afford private insurance are they necessarily more privileged to have access to different medications than those who are under public insurance? Um, not really. The equity lens isn't truly there. We wanted to see uh, how medical student perspectives align with what the Canadian public feels about pharmacare and how it should be structured. We were kind of happy to see the kind of support that medical students showed for universal coverage in pharmacare because it aligned broadly with what the Canadian public uh, really wants to see. And actually a recent poll um, by the Heart and Stroke Foundation and the Canadian Federation of Nurses Union um, found that nine in 10 Canadians agree that Canada should have a national pharmacare program. Um, ultimately, we uh, want to have a message that is consistent with what the public wants and it's overwhelmingly in support of universal coverage. So of the three parties who have pledged National Pharmacare in this current election campaign, those being the Liberals, the NDP, and the Greens, each of them has offered billions of dollars to implement such a plan. Um, the Liberals have offered a six billion dollar down payment over the next three years, um, the NDP one upping them with ten billion dollars for the first year to cover all medications, and the Greens stating that um, the Parliamentary Budget Office prices their plan at $26 billion for the first year and up to $29 billion after three years. Now, what was notable to me about what Elizabeth May said regarding that cost was that it didn't take into account um, the discounts of bulk purchases of prescription drugs or contributions by the provinces and territories. So. Do you believe that bulk purchases and provincial contributions will have much of an impact on this cost? So the Parliamentary Budget Officer report estimated that Pharmacare would cost 
20 billion dollars 20.4 billion dollars of which originally you know you would say that the uh, federal if there was a full federal funding approach that's what the federal government would have to foot that that bill um, however um, it's already estimated that the t provincial and territorial governments actually already contribute about or pay about 13.1 billion dollars so in reality the actual cost um, at least from the federal funding uh, perspective, would be much less than $20 billion. It would be somewhere in the order of $7 billion um, after all the contributions from the current already provincial and territorial um, drug coverages. So yes, definitely, I would say that um, any sort of contributions from these uh, provincial and territorial governments would actually help in the uh, cost and you know managing and co-sharing the total burden. Although the costs can seem quite high, there's the other paradigm in that downstream cost as well to the patient and to the healthcare system. Um, diabetes, for example, can be solved by medication. However, if diabetes is left untreated, it can result in a whole range of complications. And this results in longer stays in the hospital, possibly operating room time, um, more medications that are provided in the hospital downstream. Um, and so these medications are used as a preventative measure um, to prevent these complicated, um, expensive um, downstream uh, results. Um, and as we go forward with a aging population, um, pharmacare and um, preventative medicine is especially important. You mentioned that in the 2019 federal budget, um, the government allocated $35 million over the next four years for the Canadian Drug Agency in an effort to lower drug costs and millions more in the following years. Is this cost worth it if we do not have a national pharmacare plan in place? Would the government be paying more for hospital visits if it doesn't implement pharmacare? What is notably absent from the Liberal government's um, proposals is the commitment to a universal national pharmacare program. And despite this being um, less than ideal, I think that any steps towards trying to establish a national pharmacare program are, are steps in the right direction. And um, even though they do seem like baby steps, um, I think that they are better than what we had in the past. I think that that's something that the government could be applauded for, um, just that, you know, that they continue working uh, beyond that. Of course, I did want to ask about um, the principles that were endorsed by the Canadian Federation of Medical Students within your paper and what you think they offer in terms of solutions to the pharmacare issue. The recommendations that we put forth in our position paper um, are based on a temporal spectrum. Um, so the first is like quick wins um, that could be achieved by CFMS itself. And that would be education for medical students um, on the stances of political parties, um, as well as education on how pharmacare could potentially be designed. And we achieve that through um, our social media campaigns um, through Twitter as well as through Facebook, through the dissemination of various infographics um, that summarize all of these topics. And the second is of a more long-term advocacy process. Our team 
attended various uh, town halls um, with Dr. Eric Hoskins and uh, Minister of Health Jeanette Petipa Taylor um, in advocating for the voice of Canadian uh, medical students, advocating for the role of universal evidence-based um, and comprehensive pharmacare. The results of one of your surveys showed that uh, many medical students haven't been adequately taught about pharmacare as part of medical school. Why do you think that is? Why has pharmacare not been sufficiently taught to medical students? Um, I think part of the reason maybe why um, pharmacare hasn't been taught as much formally in medical school curriculums um, is because um, there is no uh, like fully um, implemented and designed system already in place. So it's really tough to have a good grasp on what really is pharmacare and what, what should be presented to students because of all the different complexities and all the different proposals from different parties and all the different stakeholders involved on both for and against pharmacare. So um, I think part of the challenge of trying to condense all of this complexity into um, succinct um, medical school uh, teachings, I can see how that plays into the medical lack of exposure of medical students to pharmacare. So under the approach of full federal funding, you say that the federal government may need to raise the GST from 5% to 7% to help fund a universal pharmacare program. Now this seems like it may be a hard sell. So how might the government attempt to convince the public of such a policy? What do they say to the naysayers of a pharmacare plan? Putting more money isn't necessarily the only solution. There's other options that can bring us closer to the vision of pharmacare. For example, that's adopting a formulary that targets only essential medications. There's reallocation of funding from services in order to make uh, pharmacare more fiscally sustainable. Increasing the GST by 2% isn't the only solution, but one of solution of many. It seems like there is that public support that is also uh, bringing national pharmacare to the forefront of the political agenda. And, you know, I think it's something that is both uh, unavoidable and almost inexcusable to avoid um, with the rising prescription drug costs uh, to people. I think uh, the one thing that I always think back to is that um, we're all going to need some form of medication at some point in our lives, especially as we age and as Canada's population ages. Because of that, maybe people can have, and especially politicians, can have a bit of that long-term outlook, which reflects what uh, Canadians really want with uh, what they want to see. I hope that we won't be talking about this in the next 50 years. Thanks for joining us. The Solutions Podcast is produced by journalism students at Mount Royal University. This week's episode was produced by Noel Harper, Zalea Huang, and Christian Kindrachuk, with help from Patty Edgar, Archie McLean, and Jason Cocott. Thanks again for listening.